0: The Drum Candy Podcast is brought to you by Drum Factory Direct. what's up everyone welcome into episode 51 aka the one year anniversary of the drum candy podcast this is your host mike dawson coming to you from drum factor direct in pittsburgh pennsylvania it's hard to believe one year ago today on may 13th 2021 when we launched the show this year has flown by it's been amazing to reconnect with some of my favorite drummers and biggest influences and friends and titans of the industry and all of your support has been really really welcome thank you all so much for listening We've got a lot of new ideas in store. Last week, we started our 10 Reasons to Love series with Tom and Dave. That's going to continue once a month moving forward. I'm going to try to do in-person interviews more often now that people are back on the road and touring. Um, We have a lot more opportunity to get together face-to-face. I think it's a much better experience when I can sit down with someone. Case in point, this week, I headed back over to Hawthorne Drum Shop to meet up with Giuseppe Capalupo of The Devil Wears Prada. He is just off the first leg of the tour. So I wanted to get the load down on you know what's the touring experience like in 2022 for a modern metal band uh, Giuseppe's also a tour manager for the band so a lot of this conversation talks about how he splits his time between having to maintain his chops and focus and strength to play some really extreme music while also having to be the default band dad on the road so this is a lot of fun again thank you all so much for supporting the show head over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating, drop a review. That will certainly help. And if you're only listening to this in audio form, make sure you head over to the Drunk Factor Direct YouTube channel and subscribe there. Uh, every podcast episode is in video form there and a lot of other cool content. So, um, yeah, let's get to the show. Here's Giuseppe Capalupo. All right, let's get this thing started. So you're fresh off the first leg of touring. Yeah, yeah. How first. did it feel to get back on the road? Well, this so this was our second
1: run Uh pandemic style um, okay the first one we did was back in the fall of 2021 yes 2021 uh excuse me that one was like september october um that one was that fall tour was definitely still pretty weird because there was very strict covid protocol you know like masks when you're in the venue only time you're taking off is when you're getting on stage to play mm-hmm. uh, not really a whole lot of mingling with the other tour camps there's no guests backstage whatsoever no eating or drinking outside of like the venues like all your food's gonna be takeout you can't go to bars afterwards smokes so like that tour was definitely it was still a fun tour and super successful tour but it was definitely very challenging to navigate because most of the times when you're having fun on tour you know you go out to the bar for a drink afterwards you go to your favorite restaurants and coffee shops to eat and drink and it's like it's just very weird very uh Dystopian, you know, it felt like a how many bands? Uh, that tour was a four band package, and this tour we just finished up was also a four band package.
0: How do you stay out of each other's way in that? That situation? one was really
1: difficult. Uh, I mean, there's there, it was still like a lot of intermingling. Like, thankfully, nobody got sick, yeah, on the fall tour or this, uh, this tour we just wrapped up either. So, I would consider ourselves very fortunate. Uh, but this last tour we just wrapped up, um, it was everything was super lax. You know, we were eating out, we were going to bars, yeah, like if it was the most normal that we had felt in a long time, because we got to enjoy all the normalcies of being on tour. Um, you know, didn't have to mask up backstage and stuff, which like that part felt a little bizarre, mm-hmm. just coming out of that fall run and you know, still having some pandemic tendencies until what it is now, it was still, it, it was refreshing to be able to like loosen up a little bit and not have to be as hyper vigilant. It's yeah. not like we're out running in, running around the crowd or anything during the show you know it's just the touring parties and you know we're hanging out with each other and stuff but like the touring party was keeping pretty insular outside of like when we would have you know significant others so you know guests backstage mm. uh was the know.
0: local crew still masking up or was everyone kind of uh
1: 50 50 okay so there were some venues where uh like if it was like a union show then like they would be masked up the entire time um and it was super it was just super refreshing to be able to you know go to my favorite bar, you know, go yep. to one of my favorite coffee shops and actually like sit down in there in the morning because tour managing and drumming is a lot. We'll come back to that for sure. <laughs> um, but so the first thing that I'll do when I start my day is wake up early. You know, if I help, have to help the bus driver get parked up, you know, I'm on standby for that because I try to be the first one to sleep if I can be. Mm. Um, which, what is that usually? What time? Uh, for me, like midnight, you know, 1230. Okay. around that, so not super late.
0: I and mean, this is on the bus? Yeah what are the other guys doing?
1: Um, bus call averages between like, if it's, if it's not a terrible drive, bus call by default will be like 2am. You know, if it's a super short drive, sometimes we'll push it till three because some of the boys, you know, will like to go out and party with the other camps. Um, there have been some troublemakers that have been late to bus call, but at the end of the day, it's like it's the it's their business, their LLC, they're my they're my higher up bosses. Right. So it's like, hey, you guys want to go have fun? Go have fun. As long as you're safe and you get back to the bus safely, whatever time that might be, as long as you're safe and you're okay, I won't complain. Are you the band dad? Kind of, sort of. Yeah. Yeah, kind of, sort of. I mean, I don't make like any of the executive business decisions, band dad stuff. But as far as like making sure my boys have what they need, yeah, I'm band mm. dad. Interesting. I'm band dad for sure. I now, mean, I'm the, I'm the oldest in the band.
0: Okay. Does that come natural to you? No.
1: <laughs> okay. Not at all, <laughs> actually. Normally, I'm the one that needs like heavy adult supervision just to, because of ADHD. It's like, stay on task, stay focused here. Okay. And I'm like, ooh, butterflies, ooh, <laughs> ice cream, ooh, puppies. That's normally me. So it's, it's been a challenge that can like shift into other mode. We're like, okay, I'm responsible for all these people now.
0: Mm. Now, is tour managing this last run different than in previous runs or is it
1: so this is only my second tour tour managing okay. in addition to drumming it's and i mean being a support uh, support act for a headliner and tming it's super easy so i'm you know i'm collecting you know catering budget and buyouts for the guys you know i'm printing out set lists printing out the day sheet um organizing par- uh, the parking maps for our driver mm-hmm. interfacing between the driver and the band interfacing between venues uh, the venue and house personnel and the band um settling at the end of the night uh, all that stuff. So it's it's not very difficult. Uh, it's just little moving parts that are definitely nuanced and like rebuilding them into the um, the rituals and the timeline of your normal day. So like for me as a drummer, normally before tour, I took on tour managing. And I stumbled into the tour managing role because I come from bar management experience. Uh-huh. Uh, so applying that in the music industry with you know guys in the band that I've known since we were all teenagers when it, everything was still DIY mm-hmm. and you know VFW floor shows oh, yeah, and stuff. Yeah. This was pretty. This was a pretty easy transition. But there are little nuanced things that you don't think about until you're like in a tour management position where you're like, oh okay, like this guy likes this specific beverage on stage. This uh-huh. is where this uh band member likes his set list and his stage and his drinks um this is what these are some of the snacks we want on the hospitality rider these uh and having an i actually have like an a b and c rider so if like the storage for like our, our drinks and stuff on the on the bus are you know getting to capacity then i can hit up uh, the headliner TM and say hey you know can you double check and switch to our C Rider for this next show because all we need now is water you know we're good on beers we're good on oh, snacks
0: oh that's interesting
1: yeah so it's it's a lot to like stay on top of especially on this last tour they were shopping hospitality rider like two days out so trying to kind of anticipate what the drink situation or the snack situation is going to be two days out when mm. I'm like oh I have to th- also think about playing the show I know tonight. right I also have to warm <laughs> up um, so it's there are days where it's definitely challenging, but then for the most part, especially having ADHD, it's like, oh, this is kind of like autopilot. Um, because when I first started doing it on the last tour in the fall, I just kind of like wrote out my day schedule yeah. and what it looks like and just making sure that I highlighted all of the tasks that were like most important in order of importance and the timeline for the day. And that kind of helped me like build a routine for what my day looks like. So like I'll wake up, make coffee, print the set lists for that night, print the day sheet for that night, hang that on the bus door. Um if there's a schedule change, I'll text the group chat and say, "Hey, there's a schedule change for tonight. It's not going to be the standard set t- uh, it's not going to be the standard on stage time. Uh it's, it, doors got doors are pushed up or doors are later." Mm. Just kind of like making sure that the band has the most up-to-date information and communicating that with everybody. So it's just a constant communication thing. That's so what it is.
0: So do you make sure to take care of yourself as well? I mean, cuz you're taking care of your band, but do you- This tour, this
1: last tour was definitely more challenging than that, right? Because Bigger shows, you know, larger crowds than Mm -hmm. the fall tour. uh, A little bit more moving parts, some longer drives. Um, I definitely didn't struggle to take care of myself on this last tour, but there were some times where, like, I noticed that I was having like a pretty stressful day, and like remembering to check in on yourself. Like, there was uh, there were a couple times, uh, a couple times on this last tour, I'm like, I definitely need a fucking day off. (laughs) (laughs) I need a day off where I don't have to think about drums. I don't have to think about uh washing stage clothes i don't have to think about there's there was a couple days on this last tour where i'm like i'm gonna need a vacation after this tour and normally tour is vacation yeah because you're you know getting paid to travel and play shows with your best friends yeah you know so it's like it's
0: it's a vacation and it's not like you're playing mellow acoustic trio music either so physically and mentally you've got to be on point yeah every single day yeah
1: And like our set on this last run, it was a short 30-minute set, you know, and ever since I quit smoking, it's been a lot easier to just kind of breeze through the set, and I'm not totally gassed by the end of it. Mm. I mean, I try to leave it all on stage, for sure, because, like, I want to make sure that the fans coming to the shows are getting everything. You know, they're getting 150% of me, regardless on, you know, if I'm having a stressful day, regardless if I'm having, like, the best day ever. Like, I want, for me, when when people come to a Prada show, I want to give them the consistency and the high-energy show that they would expect, you know, because, like end of the day like I remember going to shows as a kid and you know it's like five bucks to go to like a, a hardcore show or a punk show and you leave that show and people are bleeding right <laughs> you know what I mean people like swinging in the pit for blood and that was you know kind of the scene that I was born into I mean granted like I there were very few bands that I come out of mosh retirement for um <laughs> I think I
0: retired when I was like sixteen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well,
1: especially now like that I actually have to take care of my body and make sure that I'm not getting hurt so I can, you know, perform. Yeah. That's like that's another challenge too, because you know, being 34, soon to be 35. You know, like I would like to think that I'm in my prime, but you know, if I if I lift weights too heavy the one day or, you know, like I, I work out too aggressively and then I'm sore, very sore, two days later, mm-hmm. I'm like harder to get out of bed you you feel your (laughs) knees creaking a little bit it's like oh man okay this is a little more challenging than i thought
0: did it take you a while to get your your sea legs for this run like the whole band did it take a minute to be like oh now we're 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 rolling
1: surprisingly not so the way that it works out pre-tour um what we do uh, our key player is essentially our music director so like he's he's a professional producer in addition he was a young uh, boston berkeley grad Mm. um and he'll write out like the uh, tempo maps and click tracks mm. um, and rehearsal tracks for the entire set list with the interludes built in and everything. Nice. So, about a couple, a month to like a couple weeks out, he'll send that out to everybody so everybody can like do their homework and rehearse on their own. So, by the time we all get together in Kansas City for a full rehearsal, a full band rehearsal, we only have to do two days of rehearsals mm-hmm. before the tour starts. So, by that, by the point we get in for full band rehearsals, everybody's already been playing through the set on their own time for you know weeks so and by the time the first show comes along it's like yeah you're a little sore after the first show um because you know you're head banging you know right. obviously you can't, you can't practice that energy no no you know? because when i get on stage like i feed off that energy that of just seeing the crowd like th- there were a couple of shows on there a couple of shows on this tour where our band for a lot of the uh, fans coming to the show were new people that haven't se- really seen us before mm. and didn't really know what our band's about. So that was a unique thing being in a, a room of an average of thirteen, fourteen hundred 1400 people and these people coming in, not seeing a Prada show before and be like, all right, let's see what this band's about. And then I absolutely have to give them 150% because right. <laughs> I want them to come back. And it was definitely like at the end of the day, I felt it a lot. Um, Physically, you know, just in my neck and my back from all the head banging, yeah. you know, like literally, like like swinging for blood on my cymbals, you know. Sorry, Zojin. <laughs> <laughs> Did you break any? Uh, I broke two. Did you? I broke two. I broke my eighteen uh, uh, k uh, special dry trash china, one with all the holes in it. Oh yeah, and the uh, my ten inch Oriental china trash. Oh, well, those are probably the ones you would expect to break. Yeah. Well, the funny enough, the little the ten inch uh, Oriental china trash, it broke around the the actual hole. Weird. Yeah yeah so i i mean i have a sleeve on this uh symbol sleeve on the stand that it's on so but i've also had that that specific symbol now for a couple years Mm -hmm. so i think it was just like constant wear and tear it finally just a weird break but i oh and i don't hit terribly hard but
0: how many times have you hitting that sucker a lot
1: (laughs) It's just like a lot of you know your uh, linear you know thirty second note fills where you're doing the you know pss, all the like accents and stuff going back yeah, and forth yeah. between a baby China and the open hats, all that stuff. That's What's me- the
0: rest of your kit? What's the symbols? Uh, so,
1: my main. So I'm playing. This was my first tour with 15 inch hi hats. I finally graduated at 15 inch hi hats. And you got the sweets or uh, the lights? The 15k lights.
0: And you love them,
1: or? Unbelievable, Yeah? Unbelievable. Like, the only other ones that I feel like I really want to try now are the concept uh, fat hats.
0: Mm -hmm. Those are 15s,
1: right? Yeah. Yeah, just because I've seen so many videos on this. All the videos, they just sound incredible. All the testimonials about them. Like, dude, the most versatile hats. They can play any gig. So now I just want to try them on principle alone. Yeah, right. Um, So why 15s? Why'd you move up? Well, here at the drum shop, you know, Chris has got his 16-inch hats all over the place, and they all sound so good. Yeah. And for the longest time... I was playing the 14-inch Avidus reissues. Uh, nice. I got those in that 22 Avidis reissue ride when they first launched because I wanted I wanted like the almost paper thin feel mm-hmm. with like that versatile hi-hat sound where you could use it for just about anything and that was my go-to hi-hat for a long time to the point where in recordings when I when it got to the studio time I have a pair of uh, vintage New Beats uh, that I keep as my like beat rig. I just always keep in my drum coffin. And a lot of the producers we worked with would bring in, like, super heavy, you know, like, master sounds Mm -hmm. or um, those vintage new beats just because they are like, a lot brighter in the studio. Mm. And especially playing metal, that's what, like, a lot of the producers wanted was more, like, defined chick, defined uh, sticking, where the Avidus reissue 14s were, like, a little more wash, a little bit lighter. But to me, it's, like, that's a pleasant sound for the ear. But obviously recording, it's, like, you want something that's a little more... Big picture, broad strokes. Um, But other symbols in the setup, uh, my left crash is the 19-inch K-Custom Hybrid. Thank you, Akira Jimbo. I love those. (laughs) Um, I go back and forth between 22 Avidus ride, uh, 21K suite ride, and the original 21 uh, suite ride. Um, Right Mm -hmm. crash, I go back and forth between the 20K custom dark thin or the 20K cluster. Mm -hmm. I just love that 20K cluster just dirt yeah it's super loud super explosive and those rides seem a little light i would expect for for the case the k suite uh 21 is just got actually got really great definition because for the metal ride there's not a lot of actual like i don't need a ping ride for that kind of stuff because Mm. there's not a lot of Heavy ride work. It's more crash. Oh, it's a washier ride vibe. Yeah. Okay. Are you yeah. playing bell
0: a lot or? Uh,
1: not really. Okay. They're more like there's a couple like act like bell accents, but I'm not just like riding the bell really at all. You know, back in like the mid 2000s when like the Zill bell was the yeah, thing. Yeah. Like there, my old bands, I used the Zill bell a lot. I had the <laughs> nine point five and the six, and they had their own symbol arms. So, <laughs> do you remember, Have you ever heard a band called August Burns Red? Yeah. I would say Matt Griner is the re- is a large part of the reason for like our scene that the Zill Bell became a thing. <laughs> Just all the like all the linear double bass fills using both bells. Yeah, yeah. Like. So when did that kind of fall out of favor? I have to
0: admit I'm ignorant to the
1: Uh for me personally, I kinda killed I killed that off for myself as a drummer, probably around I'd say like two thousand nine, two thousand ten. I was I started uh, I started playing for a band called Haste of the Day in 2009, okay. which was like a, a pretty prominent Christian metalcore band out of Indianapolis on Solid State Records, and I got in with them because of the first band that I toured with in um, my form like late high school years into, you know, my first like national touring career mm-hmm. um, when like the Bell was just still the thing. Everybody <laughs> everybody would would put up memes on the internet that just has a picture of a Bell. And hand in a drumstick is like, if you hear this sound, prepare for the apocalypse. Because <laughs> that was always the thing. Right before a breakdown, you would hear that. Oh, ping. right. Yeah. Or four China hits. China high, open eye up. <laughs> 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 cue the wall of death. Oh, shoot. All right. What are the drums? Uh, drums. Uh, cue, uh, cue Drum Co., Orange nice. County, galvanized. Uh, 12 up uh 16 down 22 16 kick uh and on this last run uh, i went back and forth between the 14 by five and a half gentleman's raw steel and the uh eight by 14 plate steel uh by q that's a monster it's a girthy little pig i <laughs> think that thing had a throat on it for sure now why, how do you
0: choose which drum to use
1: uh Literally, I would just go back and forth. Okay. So the, the 8x14, I was I was borrowing from Roger from Q Drums, who's uh, essentially my artist rep and one of the most badass humans out there. <laughs> Love you, Roger. <laughs> um, he let me borrow that before uh, Chris gave me the, the Gentleman's Ross deal for Christmas this okay. past year. Um, it was pre-pandemic. I had ordered a snare and... That was right before the tour that got canceled two weeks into it when the pandemic first hit. Mm-hmm. So Jeremy from Q sent me back my money and was just like, "Dude, like, hold on to this. We'll get you a snare. You know, when the timing's right." He's like, "But with tours dropping and stuff, just like, take the money for now and yeah, that's you know, nice. we'll get you, we'll get you sorted when yeah. when th- everything levels out again."
0: Um, and it never did,
1: <laughs> and it never, and it took well, what almost three years, um, but I fi- I finally ordered a seven by fourteen Q plate brass. So that should be hopefully be wrapped up before the summer, the summer headliner tour. Nice. So I'll have that and that five point five Ross steel.
0: Those, those will be my. What are your heads of choice?
1: Uh, right now on Toms, the Evans UV twos. Mm-hmm. Um, are was, they holding up good? Oh yeah. I mean, the, my, I didn't change my. I
0: changed my Tom heads once on this tour. And that was how many shows?
1: Uh, Thirty something.
0: Thirty. That's crazy. Yeah. And the coating doesn't come off, right?
1: Oh. And I like. <laughs> I'm hitting pretty fucking hard. <laughs> like, uh, snare head, I went back and... F- I, d- I did a lot of experimenting on this last tour just because I wanted to... F- I'm ch- still trying to find out what's the best snare sound for, you know, those snares that I was playing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went back and forth between G- a G1. G1? Yeah, a G1, an ST. Okay. and I like the ST. And a UV1. Okay. I love how the UV1s sound and feel on a snare snare batter because like they didn't dent up at all Mm. really um but in some rooms the uv1s on a snare batter kind of sound a little choked Mm. uh the uv or the st ended up being the true winner the g1 felt and sounded the best to me but i was only getting you know two shows out of them i would think yeah 30
0: minutes (laughs) yeah
1: yeah and metal which like i tried to i tried to be as gentle with it as i could while still like giving it that good metal rim shot but <laughs> the ST I think is a sleeper head the ST was great so the ST it's essentially it's like the uh, the power dot um, the the reverse power dot just without the dot it's that two plies of the 7.5 mm-hmm. and it sounded incredible out front and I at first I was tuning my scenario like a little bit higher but when I put the ST on that 5.5 by 14 gentleman steel or gentleman's raw steel and like tuning it to like Mid high, letting it sink in a little bit. Mm. It just had so much body for a five and a half inch deep snare. Like you felt it in your chest out of front of house. Because yeah. what our front of house engineer Chris would do is he would record the set the night before to essentially do like a virtual sound check the next day. Mm-hmm. Since all we really got to do was like a quick line check before the set actually started. Right. So uh, when everything was getting backlined, he would do a virtual sound check and I'd get to like listen back on how my snare sounded the night before. So I kind of got to hear what it would sound like and then dial it in a little bit more if i needed to tweak something on the fly because mm-hmm. i had a reference point from the night before and nice. even though that's going to change room to room as I, as you know just as well as anybody else even having like that little bit of a cheat sheet to be like okay like this snare could come down a little bit to like thicken it up a little bit with the mix mm-hmm. um that's cool
0: Yeah. So are you using any
1: dampening uh on tom source snare No. Like at first, the first couple shows of the tour, I had like half a moon gel on the snare just to kill off like a little bit of the ring. But then our front of the house was like, dude, just play it open. Mm. I was like, for real? He's like, yeah. I'm like, all right, sick. <laughs> and listening back on the virtual sound checks, I'm like, oh, he's not wrong. This sounds incredible. And the UV2s are like just mute. They're thick enough where like they don't resonate super heavily, but just enough to give it like that true fat, like metal Tom sound. Mm-hmm. Um, but still having the warmth and depth of like a coated head, so it's like the best. It's a sweet spot, the best of both worlds. because yeah. I wanna, I wanna play like a funk drum kit right. for metal. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? You sit behind it, you sit behind a head with coated tom, coated tom heads. You're like, this feels incredible. Yeah, yeah. It sounds incredible. And You're like, ah, but I have to play metal. <laughs> What's on the kick? Uh, kicks, uh, EMAD heavyweight, pillowed to hell and back. Uh, no triggers. No triggers. No triggers. They're just... On natural. I told myself pretty early on, like, if I can't fucking play the part equally with a double bass pedal, and I have... And it's not to say that triggering is cheating, because obviously, whenever you're... Like, if you're recording a pop record or a metal record or hip-hop record, there's going to be some sample blending with uh, the stuff anyway, just right. to get that, like, thicken out and, like... The attack. however Yeah. yeah the however producers make that magic happen. Mm-hmm. Um... So it's not to say that triggering is cheating per se, but for me it was just like a personal challenge of, I want to be able to play this stuff at even velocity with a double kick pedal and make it sound like it's triggered. Just for, only for the bragging right of, dude, do you trigger a kick drum? No. Just to be able to say no. Just to be able to say no, <laughs> to be to say no because <sighs> playing with a double kick pedal is a very challenging thing when you're playing a single kick drum. Yeah. Because like there's one pedal I have, I have a, the Trick Pro 1V double pedal and that's such an incredible like well beautifully over-engineered pedal it's billet aluminum and titanium and looks like a spaceship beneath your tootsies Mm -hmm. but the problem with that is the right cam where the right beater is is directly dead center on a 22 inch diameter head which means that left cam is just a little off center so as soon as you start tearing through that bass head after a couple of shows you're going to hear the inconsistencies in strokes oh wow I Regar- never thought like, about that yeah, yeah regardless it, you're like, if you're playing you know your strokes at a very even velocity and you're very balanced your head still, isn't going the to... head's not going to because that left beater is not center uh-huh. whereas my main pedal the Pearl eliminator redline belt driven double pedal the right cam on that double pedal is just off centered enough so both the right and left beaters split the difference of dead center uh-huh so you're gonna get like even strokes the whole time
0: interesting are
1: you using like a patch on the head uh yeah just the um that nylon double uh double pat double eq patch oh so it's a thin one it's not like a big attacking no, Kevlar no, no, no. thing yeah i just i just it's more just something like protect the head because mm-hmm. like i'm playing uh, with the pearl quad beater on like the, the plastic side of it just to give it a little more that, are you like, tearing two kick heads? nope interesting no i have the tension on the pearl limiters cranked and have the blue cams on them so it has it doesn't have the like the fulcrum that, like, a DW pedal has where it's, like, if you're digging <laughs> into that head, you're going to snap that head in, like, three shows. Oh, okay. So this is definitely more controlled, more even. Like, as soon as it hits, it's out of the way. Yeah, okay. That's why, like, I have the tension cra- cranked on those pedals because it's such... It's a lot of very fast, very syncopated <sighs> footwork. <laughs> um. So, what, it, what is your pre-show routine? How do you... How do you keep yourself sharp for this type of a show? Uh, I'll throw on a metronome on my phone, and I have the a Pearl Demon Drive pedal that I warm up with and one of those, like, little DW Smart Practice Kits mm-hmm. where it's, like, the, the just, like, that single stand that has, like, a little kick pad thing right. on it yep, yep. and a couple pads it. on it, and then um, just a double-sided uh, Evans Real Feel pad or the Pearl Mark Real Fuel pad, and I'll just do, you know, peridotel pyramid. I'll keep 16ths with my feet the entire time when I'm doing my exercises, but basic rudiments, you know, like good old eight on
0: hand you know, And when do you do pyramids. this like before how, yeah, how like, long before the show
1: uh really in like 15 20 minutes right before the set
0: okay so right before you go on yeah
1: yeah just and with heavier sticks too just to like so when i actually pick up i'm playing right now i'm playing the uh pro mark Shirakashi oak neil pert 747s on stage yeah that's a heavy stick it's actually pretty light really yeah oh, the, so, the, 740, the 747 is like kind of like a long just a longer 5a
0: no what am i thinking of
1: you're thinking of the 808s maybe the 808s are essentially like a 3a fatback and it's oak japanese oak yeah the oak stuff wears me out dude does it yeah Well, see like i like the oak because it doesn't splinter like hickory Mm. so like one pair of sticks i'll get like three four shows out of a single pair of sticks okay yeah
0: all right maybe i need
1: to reevaluate it's 747 747 all right what's your warm-up stick then uh (laughs) <laughs> the uh, uh byos marching stick. Oh, nice! Yeah, and I think they're in they're like indoor sticks. Yeah, so a little bit shorter, I think, than yeah. normal. Yeah, like just good old good old core sticks because like <laughs> that really gets that biker bubble working.
0: <laughs> do you do any like jump rope or jumping jacks or stretching? No, or... Oh, I
1: stretch my legs out religiously because that was one thing. Um, we we didn't EP. Uh, like a year and a half ago called Zombie 2 which was a follow up to an earlier EP concept that the band had written before I jumped mm. in and it's the most physically aggressive and challenging stuff to play in their discography it's essentially like almost like death metal like very very intense footwork mm. um like sextuplets at like like 30 second note sextuplets at like 100 and fucking 50 some bpm yeah that's a lot <laughs> with your feet <laughs> that was the shit that I didn't write then the stuff that I wrote now there's the last song on the EP is called Contagion the verses in that song are bananas cause <sighs> my feet are going done
0: and what the hell's going on over top
1: Eights on the hand, snare on two and four. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah. So it's all it's all feet. So you're stretching your hips out. I mean, stretching the hips, stretching the calves. Uh, a lot of like si- like side lunges, forward lunges, uh, dips. I'll do like a couple squ- uh, jump squats just to like get the quads, the quads and the glutes firing on all all cylinders. Now, what about after the shows? Do you have like a like a cool down? How do you keep yourself from getting tore up? I drank so much water mm. so, and and some protein okay yeah so like I'll drink like plant-based plant-based protein shake like there's a company called Evol um, I drink their drink their stuff pretty religiously or like if I if I can't find that you know muscle milk just some sort of protein to like keep the muscles from like deteriorating essentially because yeah. it's eating a, themselves <laughs> it's a full-on workout and like burning that many calories during a very short set it's like I don't have a lot of calories to throw around oh yeah so the f- like I'll try to, you know, stack a couple carbs. It's like, it's like training, I guess, for like a football match. You know, you want to eat carbs before, mm. hydrate, your little butt off as much as possible. So some people are like, yeah, so like what do you what do you drink when you play? Or like, let's go get drinks or something before you play. I'm like, no, I don't drink before I play. I drink water. I drink protein, you know, maybe I should start drinking some pre-workout.
0: Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, I think a, a couple beers would be a terrible idea.
1: Dude, uh, there was like one there was one show I think I played one show, like, actually intoxicated, Uh, and that was when we were in France, of course, Uh, years ago. This was 2016. Uh, We were playing in Lyon, France, and we found this, uh, like, antique, like, beautiful wine bar and restaurant, like, in Old Town in Lyon. Just, like, beautiful. And we were with our pals in Silverstein, uh, these, these wonderful Canadian gentlemen that have a fine taste for the finer things in life and they appreciate wine, just like me and some of the, the Prada boys do. <laughs> so we went to this wine bar and we were just getting bottles on bottles on bottles oh, no. before a set. I remember getting back to the show and just when when I would have like a couple of drinks before a show, trying to play metal, you just I, I personally would just feel so sluggish on all the fast stuff. Mm-hmm. And nor, even with the adrenaline rush that you get from you know being on stage in front of that many people, normally it balances itself out where because of the adrenaline that i have coursing through my veins and the excitement for you know playing a show in front of all these people sometimes the songs feel slow right right but even when you know if, if i'm if i'm boozed up i'm like oh my gosh like i can't keep my legs can't keep <laughs> up with this i'm fatigued then and then you're uh tensing up the wrong muscles or cramping you start yeah you start cramping you start like Fisting the drumstick, and then yeah. th- you're, this muscle cramps up, then this muscle cramps up, and then you're just struggling to finish the set. So, like after that one show back in 2016, I'm like, dude, I'm literally never drinking before a show ever again. Period. I mm. mean, and even to this day, like I'm still not even a massive drinker. Mm. Like even as even as you know a part time bartender, you know I still like. I don't booze up like I used to I love a good cocktail I love a good glass of wine you know occasionally I'll treat myself to a beer just cause like my stomach's this big I can't really fit many beers in
0: them um, I mean for yeah to the, the play the music you're playing I would, I would think you need to be Forks Drum Closet Nashville's full line drum store celebrating its 40th year in business Forks is independently owned and operated in the heart of Music City Specializing in drums and percussion, Forks offers great discounts on all major brands and will beat any retailer's advertised price. From new and used equipment, vintage drums, and marching and orchestral instrument, Forks has something for every drummer. They also offer professional rental, repair, and restoration services as well as drum lessons. Stop by their storefront at 308 Chestnut Street in Nashville, Tennessee or call 615-383-8343 or go online at ForksDrumCloset.com. You're, it's like you're in you're in season for baseball or something. Yeah. Like you can't be messing around. <laughs> yeah,
1: and, and like, and there's some, there's some folks that can, you know, that can crush beers and, you know, crush mm. drinks and stuff before God they play bless them. and it works for them. And I'm just, I guess at the end of the day, it's like, you got to listen to what your body's telling you and do the best with, with what you got for what you think the job is. You What's know? your diet on the road? Uh, about average, you know, for me, breakfast is still super important. So I keep like, uh, uh you know, that, Kodiak brand, like Kodiak uh, oh, yeah. Kodiak cakes. Yep. Uh, I'll keep like their oatmeal uh, in 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 my little cupboard. Because um, for me, like even if it's just you know some like granola cereal with some almond or oat milk, uh, or like um, you know that oatmeal, just something to tide me over until we like get to a venue and I can go like seek out breakfast. You know, get some eggs in me, get like mm-hmm. a avocado toast. Because mm-hmm. uh, just breakfast, breakfast to me is the most important meal. Because I, I don't really eat lunch that often. Um, but I am also the kind of guy that can still you know stack up right before a set and play a set fine. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: At lunchtime, you're probably in like TM mode.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll like, yeah, I mean, and sometimes I will get hungry, so I'll like postmate something. Mm. Which I gotta stop using Postmates because it's so damn expensive. <laughs> like I remember, I remember order. There was nothing around us one night, or the the one night for dinner. So like I Postmates some Taco Bell for like me and a couple of the dudes. Mm. It ended up being like a seventy five dollar Taco Bell order. Yeah, Taco Bell. Taco How Bell. Much would you
0: get three hundred tacos? <laughs> Basically,
1: <laughs> Well, no, just for like delivery fees, and then you you tip the driver because like I'm a service industry guy, so like I have to tip. Yeah. Anybody who's doing a thing where there's an option to tip them. <laughs> that's funny. But like the end of the day, it's like, this is not fucking sustainable at all. Oh,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. I spent
1: $75 for a crew on Taco Bell. Like even, I mean, even with them Venmo and be back, you know, my meal still costs like almost $25 for fucking Taco or Bell.
0: Garbage. Yeah. Make you yeah. feel sick. Do
1: you guys ever get a hotel or do you sleep on the bus? Uh, we bus? do hotels on the off days. Okay. Just so like people, when we'll just all split a room just so people can spread out, shower, just kind of have a place that's not, in a vehicle that has a generator, that you can still kind of hear.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it. let's say you've got a run of up no like three days with no days off. How do you take care of yourself? That's child's play. Yeah. Three days. So what did you shower at the venues? I mean, yeah, how do you- so
1: uh, the vehicle that we've been using the last couple of years is called a bandwagon. Okay. It's essentially uh, it's a company out of uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Um, it used to be a part of the Northern Gold bus fleet. The first one I took out was 2010 Warp Tour, mm. when there was only two and they were just prototypes. It's a it's a Peterbilt truck, like box truck, mm-hmm. uh, and the truck has a driver cab in it, so the driver has like a bed and stuff. And they had like they have their own drivers. There's like a team of, of dudes uh, in like the scene that drive these bandwagons. Okay, um, and the whole back area is a nine to twelve bunk um, like condo. So there's like a small front lounge area, flat screen TV, full-size full refrigerator, two couches, a small like diner car uh, desk mm-hmm. slash work desk, and that's normally like my printer lips under the seat. Um, and then in place of where the back lounge would be on a traditional Prevost bus is a full bathroom.
0: Oh. So there's a
1: toilet, full shower, sink, mirror, and uh, overhead storage for like uh, DOP kits, toiletry bags and stuff full shower how yeah. much water is
0: that thing carrying
1: around uh, i don't know the exact size of the tank but everybody like on a day where the venue doesn't have a shower can take like an actual like proper 5 minute hot fucking shower
0: that's crazy
1: yeah how do you get to fill it up every, every couple night. Of days? every night yeah if, if you if everybody's showering on it of course so like Mm, yeah, like most truck stops, if they're if they have a water connection, because we keep like a hose in one of the bays, mm. so the, that the driver knows, like every night to just stop and make sure that it's topped up, because there's a sink back there, so like everybody like wash their coffee mugs and stuff.
0: I didn't know those had a shower, and that's yeah. crazy. So, so you can go. Run without having to...
1: yeah. You don't need a hotel. It's the only the only rule is there's no shitting on the bandwagon.
0: <laughs> so was that who's the who can get off the bus first to take the yeah? The in the venue. Well, I,
1: I send the I send the driver's number out to everybody. At the beginning of tour, it's like if anybody has like a midnight shit attack or something. There's two rules. <laughs> you can text a driver if you're not comfortable doing the hot bag deal, or you
0: hot bag it. I don't even want to know what the heck you're talking. About. uh, Are you talking about pooping in a garbage bag? Oh, yeah. Heathens. Oh, dude, scalawags, man. (laughs) True, great scalawags.
1: Well, that's the thing. You know, everybody's like, (laughs) well, dude, when when you got to do your business, you do your business.
0: I'm like, sorry, dudes, I'm taking this shit on the bus. Yeah.
1: Well, no, when it's when, what no, do what you, would you,
0: do you put it over a garbage can. How no, do you, you do put it. it you,
1: you essentially just line the toilet with it because it's like a, it's like an RV toilet, right? So I've like never the flip heard, heard of thing. such a thing. Yeah, so what you do is you just like lift up the lid. You just line the toilet with a garbage, garbage bag, real quick. Shut it and you do your business. <laughs> tie that thing off. If you're like, if it's you're like moving, dog, text, text, dri- text text the driver. Be like, hey, pull over. I got a hot bag situation. And <laughs> <laughs> get that shit out of there. dude. Gotta be kidding me! I had I had one. I had How one, am I forty three years old and I'm just now hearing about a hot bag? It's called tour hacks, bro. That's disgusting. Oh yeah, I mean it's like not glorious, but that's a that's a thing. I mean, why would you not just tell the driver to pull over? Well, that's that's first form. That's the first thing. Hot bag is like like you're gonna crap your pants. Le- that's life or death. <laughs> that's like either a there's there's not a truck stop for like another like eighty miles. And like, it's, you're doing the thing or you like just, uh, they just left a truck stop and you just woke up Mm. and we're not stopping for like another four hours or whatever until like the, the, the wagon gets to the venue or whatever the case may be. So it's like, that's last
0: resort. Do you guys end up parking in like Walmart
1: parking lots a lot? Uh, not super often on this tour. One hack that our driver (laughs) had was to just do like, instead of a Walmart, just pull over to a truck stop. Because then you know there's restrooms, mm. you know there's normally like fast food or something close by. If it's one of those situations where we have it's like a drop and go, where we have to wait to unload until like people are out of the loading area, mm. go drop gear off, and then the wagon will go to like a, a secondary location. So everybody just kind of packs a day bag, so the bus isn't coming back until loadout. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there was like a couple. There was a couple days where we were Walmart parking lot. There's a lot of Walmart's now that like don't allow RVs or like oh, really? any of that overnight parking, like because normally the New York hack is like New York city hack is Secaucus, New Jersey. Yeah. Right. And like those Walmarts or anything like they don't allow like tour, like buses or mm. uh, passenger buses or passenger, like large scale commercial pass- passenger vehicles anymore at all. Oh, that's a bummer. Yeah. So mm. that's like, that's always the toughest, the toughest part. I feel like the TM, the TM role is trying to suss out, uh, commercial parking for an oversized vehicle at a hotel for an off day. Yeah, right. Because we ended up staying, we ended up still staying in Secaucus, but I had to call probably like 11 different hotels just to see who had parking that you didn't have to pay for. Mm. Because I remember there there was one like right at like Lincoln Harbor it was like a Sheraton or something, really beautiful hotel, and the boys wanted to take a New York off day, and that would have been like the coolest hotel to stay in, because you can like see the city, it's right on the water, right. and yeah. it, from the overhead, it looked like that had a massive parking lot. I'm like, you could fit like so many tour buses in there, it's great. I was like, how much is it going to cost? Uh, I called them, I said, hi, you know, my name's so-and-so, you know, I'm a Hilton Honors member, I'm looking to uh, rent, uh, or, you know, buy a room for the night. But I just wanted to make sure you guys had uh, offers for oversized parking available. They're like, yeah, about how big is your vehicle? I said, you know, with the trailer, it's about 59 feet long. They're like, all right, that'll be about hey, $1,200. I'm like, your hotel room to book is $130, and you want to charge me. Twelve hundred dollars to park a fucking vehicle there overnight. That's okay, why I left New Jersey, brother. Yep. I'm like, I appreciate your time. I thank you. Have, hope you have a spectacular day. We'll talk soon. Peace. No, no, not at all, dude. It was, but, but like finding that balance, right? That's 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 the tricky part. I mean, and that's the job, you know, making sure you can have all the amenities, all of the all of the creature comforts and things, with keeping the overhead as low as possible. Mm.
0: What do you do like if you're going from like I don't know OKC to Little Rock or something? Like an overdrive? Yeah. Overdrives,
1: I mean, most
0: most booking agents
1: are pretty merciful when it comes to the overdrive, but mm. there's some routings it just doesn't work out that way with, you know, how agents will buy the shows and put holds on venues where you can't escape you know that 15 hours or something yeah, th- yeah. Th- and the longest one we had on this last job i think it was like a 10 hour drive and for overdrives in the u.s i think for bus drivers is anything over 450 miles okay is considered considered an overdrive which for the driver is double pay Oof. um so that can get expensive and obviously fuel right now is fucking bananas yeah um but it's that's when it's early 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 bus call so with merch, you know, after our merch guy settles up at the end of the night, the earliest that he can really get out of the venue is midnight. Mm-hmm. So if he can be, if he can have all the stuff packed and like back to the wagon by like midnight, and he's, he's always really good about it. But first and foremost, the most important thing is merch. Mm-hmm. Like, cause that's how any touring artist is going to make like a bulk of the money to pay staff personnel, uh, recycle back into, you know, printing more designs, like merch is king. Yeah. So you're so, not going to shut that down. Not really. going to shut that down for anything. Mm-hmm. So if he's got a, if he's got a line and he's not getting out of there till, you know, twelve thirty, twelve forty five, that's what it is. It'll be it. That's how we, that's how we all eat. So like if it's going to be a long drive, because the, ultimately the goal for most, most, most band folks don't want to wake up and still have the vehicle moving yeah (laughs) it's like it's nice to wake up and you're just at the venue yeah um so i try we try to make that happen as much as possible and there's sometimes you just can't escape it if it's a long drive in a situation like that where merch was doing really well the night before so it had to stay open a little bit later shut it down and then you know bus call got pushed back by 45 minutes sometimes an hour small price to pay um um is but, it a, you still drive straight through, or do you have to stop? Oh, straight straight through. okay. Straight through. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, because most of the load-ins on this last tour, like, high noon load-ins for us. Um, it it's pretty early. Like, yeah, noon's, noon for a four-band package and, like, a 1500 cap for us is probably about average. Okay. And it definitely felt super early. But for, for us, once we got into the rhythm of things, it ended up being closer to, like, a 1245, one o'clock load-in. But I like to be as punctual as possible, at least for the camp. So, like, we're there, we're on site. Mm-hmm. And then just kind of wait for a text from uh, the headliner TM to be like, all right, you know, we're ready for you guys whenever you are. So that's there. Were, were ty- you first of four? We were t- uh, two two out of four on this run.
0: Okay. So, yeah, so how so does that work with load in? That means you're third to load in?
1: Uh, Yes. So the production production got in at, like, eight. Uh, venue access on this last tour was, like, 8 a.m., um, and then audio and audio and light start load at like nine, nine thirty, 30. Um, cause they had like a full on like LED, like video wall mm. that was like a pretty, a pretty big build cause it was on, it was on a floor, uh, floor unit. So rather than, rather than flying that, like that was got to, They were building these vertical trusses and attaching the video wall to every it. Every single day. Every single day. <laughs> that's yeah. wild. I mean, the longest, the longest leg on this one that we did, we did, uh, I think sh- six shows back to back. And that's just because we because we did a one uh, off headliner on an off day when the rest of the tour mm. package had an off day, and that one that week was a long week just because you know playing a thirty minute set not a big deal for for me as a drummer because I don't have to sing mm. you know so I get to control my breathing sit back in that pocket and just yeah, mercilessly know. groove while at the same time beating the piss out of my drums, <laughs> uh, but not you know chewing f- your
0: voice up. Yeah, yeah yeah it's a
1: thing because like metal you know our our front man, Mike he's screaming, yeah. You know, and he was like, I think he, both he and Jeremy trained with that Melissa Cross lady. Okay. She's like the the metal Uh, vocalist coach. So like their technique and everything is great. But I still personally, like I have no idea what it means to be a vocalist. I don't Mm -hmm. know how all that works. Because there are times in the set where I'll be like screaming along because I'm just into the moment. And I'll scream like a line and And start coughing (laughs) and I'm like oh my god my throat hurts so bad how do you do this every night you know and that's a special breed I think it it very much is and Mike I mean Mike our front man he's very very quiet throughout the day because he knows like he's got to like rest his voice and same with Jeremy sometimes the uh, guy who does all the clean singing like that vocal rest is a super important part of it you know you try
0: to keep your body kind of mellow during the day
1: yeah like on an off day like I'll gym I'll hit the gym a little bit You know, just do some like some lightweights, you know, this last tour, I started getting into the habit of getting on a treadmill a little bit, Mm. not going like hard in the paint because I know like actually running, running is not super good for your knees. And, you know, as a drummer, that's like one of the most important joints Mm. playing metal is like my knees. I'm always super worried about and super conscious about. So trying to find the balance now that I'm new to like running slash jogging where I am doing cardio exercises to keep up stamina without injuring myself.
0: Mm-hmm. trying to find
1: that sweet spot.
0: Yeah, I tried running once the pandemic set in and it was super cool for like 6 weeks and all of a sudden my knees were like you're too big for this, buddy. Yeah, that's <laughs> you like stop
1: doing this. Yeah, it's just like I, I for running, it's one of those weird things where it's like you think like oh, I'm just going to like I'm going to put on, you know, tennis shoes and I'm going to go for a run. And that's just what it is. Yeah. But there is apparently like, I, I mean, I haven't like researched it or anything. I'm not a professional. I've never <laughs> run like a, a 5k or anything. I literally, this last tour was the first time I ever made it three miles on a treadmill and I didn't even run it consecutively. I did one mile, then two minutes of like corn calisthenic exercises back on for a mile, two minutes, core calisthenics. And then the third mile and same thing to do like a circuit interval training. So like, I don't know if I'm have like proper technique or anything. I'm not going to go run a marathon anytime soon because like no. the worst thing that can happen is <laughs> like I'll blow out a knee and then I'm down for how long? Cause yeah. like, I feel like it's easier to rest up and heal a bone than it is to heal a ligament, like a torn ligament or like a muscle or something like that. Like, yeah. That'll nag you the whole tour. Yeah. So what are you doing to keep yourself sharp for the next run? So, oh, I'm doing like three days of three days of workouts a week, um, light jogging. Um, I did like a actually t- yeah, two days ago, I did t- uh, about a mile and a half jog. Um, I have a bunch of free weights, uh, at home, you know, one of those adjustable, like dumbbell sets, mm-hmm. uh, some kettlebells. So a lot of, bo- a lot of body weight and core workout stuff just to like keep everything here. And like, you know, all of this just kind of like even and ma- more maintenance. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to build a little bit more muscle now that I finally quit smoking
0: and can like actually, I put on about 15 pounds when I quit. So,
1: well, that was, that's what, <laughs> and that's what I hear. You know, I tried to quit a couple years ago. Um, I tried to quit a couple years ago. And I quit for like two years you know i mean i this is probably like a fucking decade ago now but i remember my appetite spiked Mm -hmm. and i didn't necessarily put on weight because like i'm just a tiny person and i sitting here i'm burning calories (laughs) you know i'm i feel like i'm like you can't see it but i'm like just vibrating like a you don't actually sit you're levitating. yes literally i am a hummingbird you just can't see my wings (laughs) flapping um but that's that's just what it is like i mean i've like i was i was saying earlier i've been the same weight since like post high school you know within like a pound or two but it's never really fluctuated outside of that
0: good for you man this is crazy a buddy of mine i won't i won't call him out but he has a similar metabolism he would drink non-alcoholic beer like non-stop like what are you doing he's like i he's like i need the calories like if i don't if i don't consume thousands of calories i will disappear (laughs) And that's what' the where, strangest thing I've ever seen. I, that's... Like pounding them. That's wild.
1: <laughs> See, I'm not like a massive fan of the flavor of beer, so I just avoided like the plague. And everyone's like, dude, if you want to put on weight, you just need to start drinking beer. And I'm like, I've made it 34 years without drinking lots of beer. Like, why the fuck would I start now kind of thing?
0: <laughs> you just start eating Wonder
1: Bread. Yeah, 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 for real. I mean, like, I, like, I love Cliff. I eat Cliff bars religiously, maybe too many Then I'm mm. supposed to eat in a normal day. Um... But yeah, protein shakes. Like, I had four eggs for breakfast this morning. So, like, I'm I'm trying to do things to put on healthy weight.
0: Yeah. And just, like... Not just belly fat. Not yeah. middle-aged belly fat. So, what about the material for the next run? Is it going to be a different set? More? Yeah. Oh,
1: yeah. The next run's a headliner, so I think it's going to be, like, an hour 20 set.
0: So, you don't have it yet?
1: Uh, I know we're playing Zombie 1, Zombie 2 back-to-back, which is the most physically intense stuff in the have entire... Have you tried to run it yet? Uh, I've run both of them separately. I haven't run them together. Mm. Uh there is one song in the n- in the new um the new EP, uh the Zombie 2 EP that we haven't played live outside of once in a live stream and it was one of those kind of songs where like I felt like I was going to die mm. playing it. And you going to do it how many times? And I have to do that. Probably, I think, like 31 or 32 times. And <laughs> is it the end of the show? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so that's, that's going to be the toughest part about that because this set list is going to be full throttle the whole fucking way through. Mm. I mean, there's going to be like, you know, 30 second breaks here and there. It's not like song, 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 song. It'll probably be like, you know, three songs break, three songs break, so on and so forth. Um, What's a headliner show for you? 90 minutes? Yeah, about that. Like hour out, probably hour 20. Um, that's a lot of
0: notes, dude. That's a lot of notes. you are going to be catching those heads on fire.
1: <laughs> yeah. Especially especially with metal. I mean, the last I, the last time we played through it, you know, the this whole zombie 2 EP, you know, I was still a very like heavy smoker. Mm. So, I think, you know, when I tracked that EP, and then when I played that EP during the live stream, I was definitely at a disadvantage to myself because in my lung capacity just wasn't there to like be breathing properly playing this stuff like I should have been. Mm-hmm. So now I feel like I have a leg up because I've already played through all of the material. I know the songs. It's not a question of not knowing the material. It's just playing that all consecutively
0: while. I mean, thousands of people yelling at you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now is everything click? So you don't have to worry about that. Yeah. That's There's good. like, it's, it's even virtual set list.
1: That's something our key player and, and MD John started doing is actually like Caught like during an interlude or something, at the end of the song, be like, "All right, next song, this song, thirty seconds." Oh, you've got like a vocal guide. Yeah, twenty seconds. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, and then the click will start, so it's always like eight clicks before the before the downbeat. Mm Hmm. Now, what is in your in your mix? An aggressive amount of click track, (laughs) like an unholy amount of click track. like it's a pretty good stereo mix of the drums because we use the Behringer X32, mm-hmm, so everybody okay. has the phone app. So everybody and they keep an iPad on stage too. So if anybody needs to change their mix, they can just be like, "All right, uh, give me you know more guitar." Um, oh, nice, nice. Um, so everything's controllable by like a smartphone or an iPad, which is very convenient. When I remember when I first joined the band, they're like, "All right, download this app." That's how you control your inner mix i'm like uh, i'm sorry what that's a thing <laughs> you don't get the point and do this anymore <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd, be like, I'd be like kick drum dime this that's like why i'm partially deaf in my left ear is because of so many years of having a wedge, wedge. on my left and just drilling it with kick drum and snare you know so there's i, I like to say i have just visually selective hearing but mm-hmm. realistically like <clears throat> i can hear this I can hear it better over here than yeah,
0: I can over I here. Yeah, I got the same. If I'm on the phone, it has to be in my right ear. Although I gave myself a hearing test a couple of months ago, and they were identical. I think there's there's a certain amount of damage that just makes it feel muffled. Yes. But it's not actually compromised. Yeah,
1: yeah. Which that's, is weird. That's definitely how I feel as well. So I've, I've tried to get more into the <clears> habit of, like, when I'm going to a concert or something, bringing, like, my erasers, like mm. ear racers, like, earplugs.
0: How cool are those? Those are my favorite earplugs. Incredible.
1: Because they like, I just love them because they bring everything down without killing the sound quality.
0: Yeah, and you don't feel like you've got your fingers in your ears. Yeah, so you can have a conversation. Yeah,
1: and you don't have to yell. <laughs> you're not like you're not doing this where the person beside you is doing this when you're trying to talk to them to try and filter it. You know, it's, it's very nice. Um But yeah, mix is you know st- a good stereo blend of the kit because um, like I have to. It's tough with in ears too because in some rooms you don't get a very accurate sound of like what. The kit, what the kit actually is behind it. So when you take your 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 in ears out, you're like, oh, okay, like this is what the drum sound like. They sound mm-hmm. good. And sometimes, in some rooms, the mix can sound just like a little wacky, even though the mix itself doesn't change. Just the sound quality, like all the weird nuances that affect how you know a drum resonates in a room. Right. All those things kind of factor in. Um, but even overheads, because like I'll put, I have hi hat and overheads in my mix because i I'm, I'm the only one. Actively making noise on stage outside of the vocalist. There's no Mm. no cabs on stage. Wow, that must be for someone
0: standing side stage must be so funny.
1: Yeah, (laughs) well, that's why like that's why whenever like we have friends, friends, yeah, that's why we have like friends or family out. They're like, "Where's the best place to stand?" I'm like, "You don't want to be a side stage. Like, you're not going to hear shit. You're going to hear my drums. That's it." Where it's like the Leo in me wants to be like, "Yeah, stand side (laughs) stage. Oh, here's my drums. I want you to hear like how good it sounds at front of house. Yeah, you know, it's like." Because all the all the other musicians, you know, the guitarist, bassist, keys, uh, all the textural elements of, like, you know, backing tracks and interludes, the subs, like, those are all such integral parts of, like, a Prada set where people are like, what's the best place to sound? I'm like, literally go to the front, like, right in front of the soundboard yeah. if you if there's room over there and stand there for the entire fucking set because you're gonna get the best sound from, yeah. like, right there. That's, like, that's the mix seat.
0: That's kind of be you guys have, have got to be pretty easy for your front of house then yeah there's not dealing with yeah it, cab it used and to stuff. be all cabs facing backstage oof not good for you no
1: <laughs> like it was cool hearing guitars on stage but then for the sake of my in-ear mix it fucking sucked yeah we're like i love i love the idea of you know like you know tube amps you know getting driven through these like boutique cabs because like all of our all the guys in our band used to be like really big boutique like amp heads and they still have you know incredible amp setups at home and stuff Um, but then our one guitarist Kyle uh, started playing these Synergy amps which I guess I don't know much about you know guitar amp or or guitar stuff but it's this it looks like your interface that where it's like a little module like a Nintendo cartridge that plugs into a power amp Mm. and there's actually power tubes in it so where it works like a modeler it still has, it, it works like a Kemper or something. It still has actual, it's being driven by power tubes. Interesting. So it's like an actual guitar head and modeler in this tiny rack unit package. So that's what uh, our, our front man Mike uses for one of the songs, Chemical, on our set. Uh, he has one of those on stage and that unit is literally like just a little bit bigger than your interface. Uh, stage left guitar, Jeremy, uh, has a redundant helix system that he uses and then stage right, Kyle. He uses the Neural DSP Quad Cortex, which is essentially a fucking supercomputer. Yeah, for, I've heard those are great. So do you have
0: like dummy cabinets or no? None. No? So it's just naked like stage dudes with wireless, so they're just running around with guitars. No, not wireless.
1: They're still cable. They're still okay. cable
0: in. Um, uh,
1: and then bass, same thing. He uses uh, I think this uh, modeller from Dark Glass Electronics. That's like a. Whole other level of wild tech that I just—I'm mm. a drummer. I don't need to worry about electronic stuff. Yeah, you know, my drum—that's <laughs> got to be so consistent. It is. That's it's c- it's extremely consistent. Like, and that's <clears> I think <throat> why they do it because now they don't have to rent backline when we go overseas or go do a festival appearance because their entire amp and pedal boards all fit in a pedal board case.
0: That's amazing. So, Ned, you can't do that.
1: <laughs> no, literally like I have two coffins for my rig and I play a four piece. So my one coffin is a uh, kick drum, pedal case, rug, uh, backup heads, um, and my throne top. And then the other case is floor Tom snare, high Tom, uh, sticks and accessories, and then all the hardware stacked vertically in like a long boat. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you do when you go overseas? You just rent? Rent a backline. The only thing I'll fly with are cymbals and pedals mm-hmm. and sticks. It's because for some reason, Pro, Mar- like, Pro Marks are really difficult to find overseas. Really? Yeah. That's kind of a surprise. You think the would be everywhere, but. That's, what I, that's mm. what I thought. That's what I thought. That's what I would hope, <clears> you know, because it would be real sick to be able to walk into a music shop in, you know, like old London town and be like, yo, give me that. Share it, 747. Boop, there you are. <laughs> it's like, no. Okay, I have. Uh, Hickory 5A, Hickory 5B. 5A. Whatever cool. you
0: got. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Well, we're getting close to the hour here, I think.
1: Any yep. quest- Any questions we missed? Oh, well, let me see. Let's, I mean... I have a tendency
0: to ramble. No, I mean, that's my favorite interview is when I don't have to do anything. Yeah, the last question. This is on every episode. What was your first snare drum?
1: <sighs> first snare drum was a crappy steel... Uh, Five five inch by fourteen rocks. R O X X. R O X X. Where did that come from? Sam Sam's Club. When, Sam's Club. When I was I wonder who made that. It was so that the Sam's Club was still called Pace at the time, mind you. Pace. P A C E. Yes. Uh, and I was in fourth grade. My older brother was in fifth. My older brother was actually taking drum lessons in elementary school at the time. I was uh, learning how to play clarinet.
0: No kidding. Do you still
1: play? No, fuck no. I made it like <laughs> I made it stick. like much to much to my mom's chagrin. Sorry, mom. She wanted she wanted me to be the next Kenny G. Um, I mean, not a bad no, aspiration. No, not at all. Just like <laughs> what wood, woodwind instruments to me. Like I I gave it a go and like I thought it was a cool thing, but I just wasn't good at it. So from there, I went to piano, piano to guitar, then guitar to drums.
0: That old when you were playing drums? I
1: started. Pretty much as soon as my older brother got that drum kit. Because like he didn't put a lot of time in on it. But when I saw it,
0: I was like... Pfft. And you were how old? Did you say it already? Uh, I was nine years old. Okay. So you, you started early with clarinet then. Yeah. Fourth grade, you said? Yep. So within a year, you've gone to four instruments. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Do you maintain any of them? Uh, guitar and drum. Guitar, drums, and piano the most. So okay. I ended up taking about five years of classical piano. Oh, okay. And that was kind of my gateway for music in general. From nice. there, I went to guitar because my dad bought like an acoustic at some garage sale. So I started like plucking around on that. And then about a couple year, a couple years after that, he bought an electric guitar. And that's when I was like, okay, like I'm actually, that was mm-hmm. around the time guitar tabs started getting popular. And I was like, well, I don't know how to read guitar like sheet music. I can write like kind of sight read piano sheet music but I don't know where all that is on a fretboard. Mm-hmm. But I was like, oh, guitar tabs will teach me how to play a song I just heard on the radio. Okay, four on this one, five on this one. Okay, oh, I can, like, play power chords now. Sick. So I started playing, you know, like, I remember learning how to play Creed on guitar. Like,
0: wow. yeah. Wow. Was that, was it, like, Guitar World magazine or something? Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> something like that. Now, did you find piano, was it easy? Like, wh- Like, I'm... When someone says they studied piano at an early age, my first inclination is that must have been really difficult. Or did you find like this is super easy? Was it like the code like you all of a sudden you could see music? I
1: I don't know what it is exactly, but I had this thing when I was a kid where I could hear a melody and immediately replicate it on a piano just with one hand not like in a complex fashion i wasn't like a virtue a child virtuoso mm-hmm. but i learned things by ear like frighteningly quickly mm-hmm. to the point where my i my parents discovered that when i was I, I i think probably like six or seven my aunt had a little like casio keyboard at her house and every year for christmas we'd go over for uh, traditional italian christmas meal the feast of the seven fish you know the mm-hmm. festa de sette pesce mm-hmm. <laughs> and i would sneak away to the living room in the dark you know switch on the casio keyboard and turn on the little radio that was next to it and just start playing along to whatever came on the radio
0: oh so you you have the gene the music genes in yeah. you yeah
1: and because my, I mean, my dad played a cor- played accordion like okay. a freaking beast so i think somehow i got that but he was um he could like read music. He played with a band back in Italy on accordion when he was younger. Nice. So like, I mean, hearing this dude play accordion, like, I'll try, I'll try and find find a video, <laughs> or I'll just have him pull it out next time I go back to my parents' house. I'll be like, Dad, play for me right now. I need to capture this on on video. <laughs> yeah, I
0: gotta see that. Cause you know, I mean, he's
1: very. It's it's insane how talented he is at an accordion, and that's oh, is it, such is, a diff- is such a difficult
0: instrument. Bandonian, a different version of an accordion. Is that what it's called? Bandonian. I think of the Italian, the big Italian version. I. Th- I think it's something like uh, something like that I've seen I saw a dude play that with, with I think it was the Boston Symphony Orchestra and it was some of the most gorgeous it was yeah. like tango music for, for classical yeah and, absolutely gorgeous oh, not like what I think of an accordion of just some no like hearing head like yeah
1: <laughs> well like hearing like in a, hearing in, a, in Italian play like a traditional like, you know tarantella like yeah. on accordion it's mesmerizing so was he playing that when you were a kid yeah there is I literally have I have photos back home my parents house of me Sit, uh, you know sitting next to my grandfather may he rest in peace playing
0: an accordion that like he made oh, okay so yeah so you were hearing music at a very early yes. age very, very 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 because my parents got me one of those toy pianos and I for life me couldn't even play like twinkle tinkle little stars I, like, I don't understand this I just would start banging yeah. on it <laughs> like once I, once I learned like basic scales and placement
1: like I mean I'm still not you know I'm not like a you know symphonic pianist by any way shape or form and I can't like I stopped taking piano lessons because I hated I hated reading music mm. I liked I liked writing and I liked li- learning by ear much more like you put notation in front of me I'm like this is fucking boring like the idiot that I was like I wish I would have kept more up on like sight reading like melodies and stuff just because that's a co- there's there's certain trains of thought where you have conservative, conservatory players I'm sure you know more than most you know being a part of like the Broadway world and stuff mm. where people set down a chart in front of you and they just be like, nah, 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 yeah. nah, It's nah, freaky. Play the whole thing. But then be like, all right, just like improvise. But they can't play a blues. Impro- <laughs> improvise something for them. You're like, uh. it's the same train of thought to like some marching percussionists and then have them sit behind a kit and just play like, Play a groove. Play a stony little fucking funk jam. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're like, boot, cat, boot, cat, like no no
0: pocket. You know what I mean? It's it's that. It's interesting. I mean, yeah, I've gone through the whole academic world and I, I kind of, see both sides. I think, honestly, personally, if you're born with good ears, that's always the way to go. Maybe just fill the gaps. Like, what am I hearing? How do I understand it theoretically? But to force someone to learn to read, if they can just transcribe it instantly, what's the point? Yeah. I mean, I feel
1: like, I feel like that's one of the, that's one of those things where, you know, there's some jobs where it's like, you have to have a college degree. It's like, why? I don't know. That's just what it is. You need the college degree for this job.
0: But I can already do it.
1: I've been doing (laughs) this job for years. You know, so like there was uh, having people that have went, you know, the university route for music and stuff where I wanted to do that. You know, I wanted to go to Duquesne Mary Papert School of Music because that's, you know, my dad got his Juris Doctorate from Duquesne University and wanted me to go to Duquesne. I couldn't pass the audition. Mm. I could because... Because you couldn't read well I, enough? I I could I could read well enough for like symphonic percussion. I mean, not like the formalship, but that was a the thing. They wanted me to be like, it, it, at that school, they're like, you have to do all like concert percussion mm-hmm. so like four ma- I had to do a four mallet like marimba or xylophone piece I had to do you know multiple clutchings with a timpani yep, yep. I had to do concert snare with proper concert snare technique and I've been mar- i just been fucking marching for four years how am I gonna break marching technique to play fucking concert they're two different worlds <laughs> to the point where I'm like this is just not for me yeah. and then I you know I was playing in local bands and they're like hey we're gonna go on tour do you wanna are you able to tour like I don't have to drop out of college but yeah <laughs> dropped out of college started touring and never looked back
0: well you don't have all that student loan debt to deal with (laughs) Thank well i said that was the last question i asked you five more questions but what was so we had your first snare drum Yep. what was your first kit and that'll be it
1: that first that first that first kit
0: it was the rocks kit the snare came with it and how long did it last you i
1: still have it in that other room no way that crazy ass multicolored kit all the weird paint sweet
0: we're gonna go check it out now
1: that's that's (laughs) that's my very first drum kit i i it used to be a black a piano black vinyl wrap and for my senior project in high school because my mom's an artist like a visual artist and ran like a a a private ceramic studio and and was an art education major um for my senior project we stripped that whole thing and we hand painted that entire
0: shell pack oh dope we gotta get a picture of that drop it in yeah all right thank you oh yeah (laughs) cheers brother Okay, that's it for this week's episode. I cannot believe it's been a year, and I look forward to many more. Thank you all again for support. Please head over and give us a review. I'm going to sound like a broken record, but that really does help the show rank higher when people search for drum podcasts. So head over to iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Give us a five-star rating. Drop a few words into the review section. Drop some comments on the YouTube channel, subscribe over there, all that stuff, all the like, share, subscribe. It's all much appreciated. Thank you so much. And we'll see you next week.